Welcome to the Living Well Podcast for Morneau Chappelle. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. According to the Oxford Dictionary, stigma is defined as the mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. In real life, however, stigma is just the false, usually negative attitudes that people have against others. As far as we're concerned today, the false attitudes toward people with a mental health problem or illness. Now, in my personal experience, stigma, I've found, can often feel worse than the symptoms of the illness themselves. As a result, stigma has proven to be one of the greatest obstacles to helping and supporting those who are struggling with a mental illness. You're less likely to reach out for help yourself, or to be the one who reaches out to someone in need, if there's a barrier of stigma between the two of you. One of our guests in this episode will talk to us about how stigma keeps us sick. Dr. Christina Iglesia is a clinical psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her hashtag TherapyIsCool initiative aims to break down stigma around mental illness and to normalize mental health. We're also going to hear from Simon Blake. Simon's the CEO of Mental Health First Aid England, and he also happens to be an officer of the British Empire. His work in mental health education, especially as it relates to LGBT communities, aims to take uh, mental health awareness and make it more common and more inclusive. But first, we begin with Mary Deacon. Now, if you're not professionally involved in the mental health space, you may not know who Mary is. But on the inside, she's a legend and a powerhouse. Mary is the chair of the Bell Let's Talk initiative, the most successful mental health awareness and fundraising campaign in Canadian history and, arguably, the world. Mary's been on the front lines of mental health advocacy for decades. As far as we may have come, though, with Bell Let's Talk, she says that stigma has historically been the toughest challenge for those living with mental health difficulties and for those who are trying to provide support. Many years ago, I worked for the Center for Addiction and Mental Health Foundation. I was the president, uh, the inaugural president of of their foundation. This is going back a long time. And uh, I I met um, the Honorable Michael Wilson, who without a doubt is is my mentor, was my mentor, and uh, someone who I hold in great esteem, truly the eminence grise of Canada. And I clearly remember him telling me about his son, Cameron, saying exactly what you said right there, that for his son, the feelings of shame were worse, harder than the symptoms of the illness itself. And at that point, I said to myself, right then and there, okay, you know, we may not be able to, I may not be able to, I certainly won't find the cure for depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. I will not do that. But it was it's within each and every one of us to eradicate stigma because stigma is our own behaviors and attitudes. So it's within each of us to be the change. 
One of the um, shifts I think we've seen in very recent years uh, has been a focus on stories of recovery in particular, uh, and a focus, and I think a layering in of a bit more sophistication in the mental health conversation. You know, it's not just a matter of oh, we should talk about these things, quote unquote, this this amor- amorphous kind of uh, glob of mental illness, as though it's all the same, but rather a little bit of distinction, a little bit of internal distinction between them. And part of that is realizing, like you say, that even people with schizophrenia can recover, that people with severe and persistent mental illnesses can recover. Um, And I think also a bit more of an understanding that recovery looks different for everybody. You don't come out of these things the same person that you went in. And and thank God for that, I think, that recovery doesn't necessarily mean cure. Uh, It means that you, you, I think, um, redefine what it means to be happy and healthy and so-called normal, whatever that even is. Yeah, so-called normal. Uh, I think there's a book there. You know, the, the uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I know there's some controversy about the use of the word recovery when it comes to mental health, because we think of recovery in other in, in, in the sense of other illnesses like cancer. So in the case of mental illness, recovery doesn't mean cure. That's, you know, it's not about cure. You have it, then you don't have it. There are treatments. There are very successful treatments that can, just like with diabetes, there are very successful treatments. And if you are, you stick to your treatments, if you take care of yourself, if you do have healthy habits, have good social connections, you know, you, 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 you exercise, you get enough sleep, you drink, you don't drink in moderate, you know, you drink in moderation or you, you don't drink too much or at all. These things all contribute to recovery. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the power of the anti-stigma message and work and research that we've been doing. I mean, we're doing the um, uh, Bell Let's Talk Day live cast, the mental health uh, mental health live live cast today as well. And we have Dr. Heather Stewart, who you mentioned uh, as a guest on the show, sharing her message. Heather and I have have had many great conversations. So she was also happened to be uh, you know a world leading expert uh, before you, uh, Bell Canada helped to put her into the, into that position. So uh, you know we're really moving the needle now on stigma reduction in Canada. As world leaders, I think. Uh, and that's really exciting to see. So I want to thank you for your for your support on that front and and uh, for leading the charge uh, in most respects on uh, defeating stigma, mental health stigma in Canada. Well, the way I think about it is that we can all play a role um, in eradicating stigma, in creating a, a robust, healthy uh, system that provides service to people who need it. We can all play a role. I am proud to play my role, and Bell is committed to playing a role to continue to tackle these issues. And, and the way I think about Bell Let's Talk is we truly mobilize behind the mental health community through org- programs like the Faces of Mental Illness, uh, the Champions of Mental Health through the, our support for organizations, uh, many of who, who, whom I've mentioned, um, and through the telling of stories of people with lived, ex- experiencing, lived experience and really challenging those perceptions of what people with mental health issues are like and what they can do. So we are very proud to play our part as well, alongside you and, and many other people and organizations around the country. 
It's funny you mentioned faces of mental illness because I think even in the in the advocacy sector and in the mental health space, sometimes we don't check our own stigma. We don't always realize our own self stigma. And I remember when I was named one of the faces of mental illness back in I think twenty fourteen maybe or fifteen. Um, Either one. But I remember having a reaction to the name of it, a face of mental illness. I don't know if I want to be the, you know, the face of mental illness. And then I very quickly realized, what does that even mean? What is the face of a mental illness? I had a preconceived notion, even living it with it myself for m most of my life, uh, what a face of mental illness should look like. So that was a really powerful learning moment for me personally. Uh, and I'm so excited every single year to see the the uh, exceptional Canadians who are brought forward with their, their individual lived experience. Mm -hmm. And I think really it is an, it is one example of showing truly that a face of mental illness is your face and my face mm. and the face of friends, family members, co-workers, this face of everyone. Um, and it's not, you know, how they are depicted in, uh, you know, scary movies or, or, um, you know, ghost stories or, you know, different, different things like that in the media sometimes. Um, it, that is not the face of mental illness. The face mm -hmm. of mental illness is your face and my face. Mary Deacon is the chair of Bell Let's Talk. Thank you for joining me today, Mary. Thank you very much, Mark. Happy Bell Let's Talk Day. When we come back, we'll meet Dr. Christina Iglesia and find out how she's managing stigma among her patients. The Living Well Podcast is brought to you by WellCan, a free mental health and well-being resource offered by Morneau Chappelle. At wellcan.ca and on the WellCan app in the App Store, you'll find information, assessments, and resources to support your mental health. WellCan resources are supplied by Morneau Chappelle's expert clinicians, as well as through partnerships with some of the biggest companies from across Canada and around the world. And now back to the Living Well podcast and your host, Mark Hennig. Dr. Christina Iglesia is a clinical psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area. She says that she's noticed a trend developing in her private practice. An increased number of her patients were going out of their way to hide the fact that they were being treated for a mental illness. Every time somebody came into a session, they would turn off their phone, turn off their location, tell somebody that they were walking into a quote unquote appointment. As I became a little more curious of these behaviors that I was being more aware to, I came to find that the stigma associated with mental health support, such as therapy, was so pervasive that people actually went out of their way to ensure others didn't know they were accessing therapy. So they would tell a friend that they were at a gym when they went to therapy. They would tell a family member that they were at a doctor's appointment. I started to piece together that we live in a world where accessing mental health support is not only stigmatized, but also shamed and requesting for people to hide parts of themselves that really could use ongoing support. 
Fast forward came the mental health action campaign called Hashtag Therapy is Cool, which invites people to talk about and normalize accessing mental health support as a resource versus a crisis or treatment avenue that is only used for quote unquote big problems or severe mental health issues. We truly want to make the conversation around mental health and mental health treatment something that people can feel supported and educated around versus what we're still seeing now, even in 2021, which is this idea that if you seek therapy, you are crazy, you are sick, you are unwell, and therefore people perceive or judge you in a lens that is unfortunately stigmatized, discriminatory, and very prejudicial. Hmm. Now, I mean, I think we've been throwing around the word stigma and stigmatizing uh, around the mental health space for a long time now. But according to you, what does stigma even mean? To me, stigma is not only a very complex thing, but it is something that exists outside of us in a system, but also inside of us and in the way that we view things like mental health. So when I hear the word stigma, I associate it with a negative connotation. So what we know about mental health stigma is that the negative connotation that continues to be tied with it is that people who struggle with their mental health are weak, are crazy, are sick, are unpredictable, are violent, right? And these are continued to be fueled by systemic issues around things like education, but it's also being fueled by our own internal and what I call self-stigma, which is the own ideas and beliefs that we hold around mental health that then in turn limit even ourselves from accessing things like treatment, medication, support. So stigma is not just a one shop stop. It is pervasive systemically, societally, and internally with each of us. Now, what's the difference between stigma and discrimination? I view discrimination as the actual actions that people take due to stigma. And what we might see that when it comes to mental health is, unfortunately, discriminatory practices are widespread in, let's say, the workforce. So we know that people view depression as stigmatized, but a discriminatory practice is somebody not getting a promotion because their superiors are aware that they have depression and therefore don't believe that they are suited or able to perform the tasks even if there's nothing that is indicative of that. To me, that behavior, right, is what is discriminatory. And the stigma that these people, all of us, potentially hold is the ideas and beliefs that we have around it. Now, do you think there are, or uh, according to both the patients that you've seen and the work that you've done in the advocacy space, are there certain groups that are more stigmatized than others or certain demographics or even cultures that uh, have differing levels of stigma? Absolutely. I think that almost in every subgroup, we can compare and contrast on how stigma shows up. So if we're thinking about something like gender, we could say that males Uh, are viewed in a more stigmatized lens if they speak about mental health issues. 
if we're talking about something like types of mental health struggles, we could say that the more severe mental health issues tend to be the more stigmatized ones. If we're talking about cultural or ethnic differences, we can talk about how minority groups have stigma seeded into their culture, everything from not trusting mental health professionals to not even believing in mental health issues. So it is fair to say that stigma is pervasive and it shows up, I believe, in every setting, but also differently and into different degrees, depending on what groups or communities you identify with. So what do, what do you think? I mean, you've mentioned a few of these already, but what do you think the real impact uh, that stigma has on people who are struggling? How do you think it impacts people? It keeps it keeps us sick. Um, I think that uh, the fact that nine out of 10 times, and that's a stat that's just from clinical, it's not anything research, but at nine out of 10 times when people show up in my office, the fact that they have to tell me that they are scared to admit that they're struggling, the fact that they have to tell me that they have to lie about being in therapy or taking medication, the fact that they have to tell me that they've been struggling with a mental health issue for decades tells me that stigma keeps us sick. Uh, Stigma tells us that what we're struggling with is wrong, is bad, is is somehow, you know, um, indicative of a a flaw within us versus if we spoke openly and truthfully around the fact that every single person has mental health, therefore every single person is vulnerable to struggling with it. We, we don't tend to stigmatize, you know, physical biological ailments, right? We say, Oh, you know, you broke a bone. How can I support you? How can I help you make sure you go to the doctors, make sure you do physical therapy, we, we tend to rally around that. But when it comes to somebody walking in with, let's say, a psychological injury, right, which is what I think trauma is, right? It's an injury to our, our system. We tell them, go away. Don't talk about that. Be quiet. Um, and it is so painful to, to bear witness to the fact that we are telling people to be silent uh, around the things that if they were able to speak about, they could finally heal from. And, and that is what stigma does. So how do we overcome this? As as cliche as this might sound, I truly believe it gets moved by sharing our stories. Um, and I know that that's probably in line with how you view and feel it. But I think that if we share our stories and, and the parts of that even you and me are talking about, the parts where we're our own worst enemy, we share that part too, right? Not just the, hey, I struggle with depression. Hey, I struggle with anxiety. But if we share the parts of, hey, I struggle with these things and I have these thoughts and these lies that I tell myself, if we actually share the whole truth, I think that's actually when the pendulum can shift. I think that what we're seeing now is that people are starting to talk more about mental health. But we still cap it and we still don't share it at all. We just, we share the parts that we think people are ready to hear. And so we're making progress, but I wonder what it would be like to live in a world where it was actually safe enough for all of us to share the intricacies of the things that we struggle with. Because I think that when we share our struggles, we become guidebooks for other people. And if I heard you telling your story and you were able to share your truths 
then I could tell myself like, wow, actually I'm not the only one that has those distorted thoughts. I'm actually not the only one who struggles with these things. So if we could be authentic with our stories, if we could be authentic with our struggles, I believe that we would actually find out that everybody has them. And if we truly knew that everybody had them, I think it'd be much harder to stigmatize mental health issues as a whole. The idea that we all experience mental health struggles may well help us to eliminate stigma. But Simon Blake says that there's a catch-22 here. Remember, Simon is the CEO of Mental Health First Aid England, part of a global effort to increase mental health literacy through educational workshops. He agrees we'd all be better off if we recognize that we're all in this together, that we need to learn together. But it will still be a challenge to thread that needle. The key bit about learning together is that stigma doesn't get in the way. That, you know, that, that poor experiences don't stop people from trying again or not getting the answer that they hoped for or expected from stopping people from trying again because we are learning. And I, you know, I started my career in, in HIV and you know, we know the impact of stigma on HIV. It's now you know, almost 30 years later. And whilst stigma in the big picture you know, may well have shifted, I know full well from friends and, and, and colleagues that on an everyday basis that there's still the fe- that impact of stigma is still felt and still much more work that needs to be mm-hmm. done. And so, yeah, there's brilliant initiatives like the, the commissioning in Canada and some of the work that's being done uh, there. We've got Time to Change, which is you know, works globally, which is about tackling the stigma. But it's going to take a long time, but we mustn't allow it to get in the way of us trying keep trying, finding new ways, finding mm. uh, better ways to, to have the conversations and to, to ensure people get the support they need. What do you think the mental health movement can learn from other movements who, you know, while, the, while psychiatric survivors have been for, around for a very long time, the mental health movement has been around for generations, mm. uh, but it's really only been in the last 10, 15 years that it's been really out front in a big way. So what do you think the mental health movement can learn from things like HIV destigmatization from uh, the pride movement? Generally speaking, we had we did an episode on that uh, earlier about the historical evolution of pride. Mm. Um, what do you think that we can we can learn from other movements? I think the most important thing is that there is no one right way. There are lots of different ways and that there is space for lots of different ways. And it really upsets me uh, in the work that we do um, here within uh, the pride movement and, and, uh, and in mental health and in sexual health, when people believe that there is only one way of doing things or their way is the right way. I think there's space for all of us to keep you know, nudging and moving and learning and sharing and growing together. I think the, the other thing we have to also be really mindful of is recognizing that uh, where there is an issue of stigmatization, um, it normally, or where an issue of stigmatizing, it normally uh, is a cause and consequence of a range of other inequalities. And we need to have a really sharp eye on Yes, mental health affects everybody. Yes, mental ill health can affect everybody, but it also exacerbates and amplifies where other inequalities um, already exist um, and other discrimination, other prejudice. And I think we need to really try to ensure, you know, we know in LGBT communities, we know in um, black, Asian and minoritized ethnic uh, communities that there are 
uh, inequalities in, in mental health. And we need to just make sure that we don't leave uh, anybody uh, and anybody's experiences behind so that we're really um, moving forward uh, in the right direction. And then I guess from yeah, something like HIV, it takes time. Yeah, mm. That is the, the other bit that we were, we're doing a dance here that yeah there'll be two steps forward I was gonna say a cha-cha but I wasn't quite sure what a cha-cha looks like but yeah that we do two steps forward and one step back and it isn't a straight line from A to B and um, and that you know that we mustn't get tired and when we do get tired we need to, to rest but not stop and that we yeah that we need to, to stand together and that's why yeah that sense of there not being only one way is so important because yeah, we need to be cheerleading new ideas and new uh, ways of thinking about things and, and doing things because that is the way that we make progress. We don't make progress by the same people doing the same things in the same way. You know, that, that has a place, but there has to be the new ideas uh, uh, coming through. So yeah, I guess yeah, right at the heart of all, all of this for me is how do we ensure that the people who know best get the best chances to uh, to design, to deliver, to shape, to support um, without placing um, a burden on onto you know, people, whether that's young people, whether that's marginalized communities, whether that's people with lived experience. So that, that, that there has to be allyship, there has to be partnership, there has to be yeah, a recognition that this is a job for parents and carers, it's a job for peer educators, it's a job for community groups, it's a job for schools, it's a job for the workplaces. You know, that, that there, there, isn't, there isn't a single answer and there isn't a single solution, but we can all play a part as long as we have that shared goal of, uh, of a better uh, uh, experiences uh, in education, better experiences in terms of support and easy access to services where they're needed. And I think that idea that change requires uh, multi-directional effort, uh, multi-factorial effort, uh, that change takes time and persistence uh, in the system, yes, but it happens to apply pretty well to personal recovery, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't disagree with you in that at all. <laughs> Simon Blake is the Chief Executive Officer at Mental Health First Aid England and the Deputy Chair for Stonewall, Britain's leading charity for lesbian, gay, bi, and trans equality. Simon, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's been great talking to you. My many thanks to Mary Deacon, Dr. Christina Iglesia, and to Simon Blake. And my thanks to you, of course, to listening to this conversation about stigma on the Bell Let's Talk Day episode of the Living Well podcast for Morneau Chappelle. I've been your host, Mark Hennick. Take care. You've been listening to the Living Well podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford. <laughs>